fighting to combat tyranny one state at a time, starting with Wisconsin. This is the Badger State Resistance Podcast, brought to you by Liberty and Freedom. And welcome back to the Badger State Resistance Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, as always. And as promised, I have a special guest today. I have Dr. Uh, Daniel Coster. Coster, correct. I'm so bad. Uh, he's he's a uh, general physician, uh, MD, and uh, he's uh, the owner of EO Med. Uh, right, I said that all correctly. Right. Okay. Perfect. All right. So, and um, we're going to talk about the vaccine. I want to talk about medical freedom, and um, you know, Melissa, my campaign manager, got this uh, meeting set up, and I think he's got an incredible amount of knowledge and information for the people of Wisconsin. Um, so. I want to give you a chance to go ahead and introduce yourself and and kind of where you are with this whole thing uh, as far as, you know, what you want to do to fight. Yeah, well, thank you, and mm-hmm. thanks for inviting me on board. It's nice to be here and nice mm-hmm. to meet you. Um, I'm. Uh, we have a new organization that uh, called Physicians for Freedom, okay. and this is uh, physician-based, but uh, anyone can be a member. Uh, we're very, very new. Mm-hmm. Um, the mission of Physicians for Freedom basically is fact-based debate, rational debate, and respectful debate. So mm-hmm. in a word, I would call that uh, compassionate science. And so mm-hmm. as a group of physicians and physicians run and uh, with that as our mission, that allows us to tackle any number of issues. Um, we certainly are animated and motivated mm-hmm. by this whole vaccine issue. Um, the vaccines and the mandates I see as two separate issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other issues that have arisen that I think have uh, really spurred us on as far as getting more active. And um, as we were talking about before we came on, you know, there's uh, coercion and censorship mm-hmm. on the part of those that the, the the mandating side, and to me, censorship and coercion and all of that is very anti-science. Correct. Um, the whole basis of science rests on skepticism, on challenging beliefs, your own, and welcoming uh, the different views of others. And in order to do that, you have to be able to have a free discussion, and the more freer and more public the better and absolutely that should be between uh not just between in the public sphere but that should be between patients and physicians correct yeah. i i you know i agree 100 percent uh i've talked many times about the coronavirus on this podcast i've had you know nurses that have come on um i've had other you know politicians come on and uh, of course politicians we know that you know they're going to choose one way or the other for the most part um there's one candidate for governor jonathan wickman who <clears throat> was medically injured buy a vaccine uh he's very open about it so obviously for him he takes us very personal and one of the biggest things that i think that we're being lied to about is is the the amount of injury that has happened from this vaccine and again one of the biggest you brought up science one of the biggest arguments that that they continue to tell us is trust the science trust the science but yet they'll hide the numbers of, of vaccine injury uh the coercion 
which uh, anytime the government tells you that you're forced to do something or that we're here to, here to help, I think it was Ronald Reagan, uh, I've said it multiple times, said when the government shows up at your door and says we're here to help you, you know there's a problem. Yeah. So, and he probably didn't say those exact words, but, you know, in a nutshell. Uh, so it is amazing to see that there are physicians, and we know there's uh, uh, thousands of RNs and medical workers throughout the state of Wisconsin. I've been all over the state and, and protested with all of them, uh, stood stood there with them, um, Milwaukee, Eau Claire, Green Bay, Madison. Um, and uh, it's it's great to actually see physicians uh, rising up now and, and taking a stand because when I I mean I'm not I'm not a physician so for me I want to trust my doctor you know when when things are when he says when my doctor says you know okay Justin this is probably something we need to look at I'm an asthmatic so I have uh, you know inhalers and and things I've been like this my whole life. And I want to be able to trust this. But the issue that I have now is when we see the amount of government coercion, you see cities now requiring uh, vaccine passports like New York City. Chicago is now doing it. Uh, yeah. Boston, I think the police department said, screw you, we're not going to do it. Uh, but many other cities throughout our country, we're only you know a hair length away from actually having that happen here in Wisconsin. And I think that at this point, we're at a critical time where these vaccines, we're seeing this Omicron, whatever they want to call it. I call it, I call it the transformer variant. Right. So, <laughs> so uh, we have this variant, uh, you know, that is 12,000 people in Wisconsin tested positive or whatever it is per day. Um, but the amount of people that are vaccinated and then boosted are still getting this. We were told by, you know, the anointed one, Fauci, I don't like to call him doctor because I just don't believe anything that comes out of his mouth, uh, but Fauci, that if you get vaccinated, you are safe. You will not get the coronavirus. You are now have the antibodies. Well, I like to believe that God gave us an immune system that could fight this off. And clearly, uh, when we look at the amount of the survivability of this whole thing, it's, it's darn near 100%. So... I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> so. Yeah, you raise a lot of a lot of very good issues. Um, natural immunity or immunity post-infection, mm -hmm. we've known from coronaviruses, in addition to everything else we've known since uh, smallpox days. Sure. Um, that's a real definite scientific fact. Um, it's if you look at the CDC website on whether or not you should get the chickenpox vaccine, it'll mm -hmm. say, if you've had chickenpox, you don't want to get the vaccine. There's really no need to, and you're exposing yourself to a risk with no potential benefit. So that science is pretty solid. It is, to me, that's one of the more alarming uh, anti-science stances is to, is to um, ignore or even deny the benefit of natural immunity post-infection. Sure. Um, at the very least, we ought to encourage science, scientists, physicians, and uh, patients and policymakers to have a vigorous discussion about that. I mean, sure. this is resolvable. We have, mm -hmm. we have research data on uh, immunity post-coronavirus infections going back way before there was a COVID. I mean, coronaviruses right. have been around a long time. So that's one issue. Uh, you touched on something else, too, that I think is to me, um, very significant and, and ought to be discussed uh, more widely. And that is, uh, you didn't put it this way, but it's differential risk. You know, your mm -hmm. risk as an asthmatic 
sure. to a respiratory infection is going to be higher than mine. I don't have asthma. Sure. I may have other risks. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be among policymakers, whether it's government or business or uh, you know, health systems, licensing agencies, there seems to be this tendency to apply a single treatment across the board regardless of very different risk risk factors. Um, The example I've, the analogy I've used lately is to to make this example, you know, there are are breast cancer genes that greatly increase someone's risk for breast cancer. And if if you test positive for several of these genes, you may have a I don't know, like a say an eight, just for sake of the example, an eighty percent risk over sure. the next twenty, thirty years of getting a breast cancer. Well, there are women in their thirties whose right. mother or aunts and older sisters have had breast cancers, and they they test positive for these genes. Preventive bilateral mastectomy seems like a pretty radical treatment, but if you're looking at say an eighty percent risk of a breast cancer over the next twenty years. And that's going to keep you up at night, and you don't want to have to sweat the mammograms, however mm-hmm. frequently. And that, it's a it's a reasonable thing to say to to a woman. You can consider with your doctor, your family, whether or not you want to have a preventive mastectomy. But what if instead of an eighty percent risk, what if it's an eight percent risk? Right. Well, that's a tenfold decreased risk. That's roughly the risk of breast cancer in the average woman's lifespan. Right. So we're not recommending preventive bilateral mastectomies. Well, what if it's a 1%, 0.8? Point right. In other words, reduce it by 100. We, you, that'd be criminal. That'd be beyond malpractice. That'd be criminal to say, oh, you ought to have bilateral right. mastectomies. So here we have in COVID, we have someone in, who's, say, 90 years old, a 1,000-fold greater risk mm-hmm. of death than, say, a healthy 5-year-old. And we have people advocating the same treatment of vaccine, not only advocating, mandating that across the board. To me, I just find that egregious. And we ought to at least be able to talk about that and maybe try to resolve it. Well, and the thing is, 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 again, when we go back to the coercion discussion, just look at the situation that happened. And and I bring up New York City a lot because it's a great example of what is to come uh, across the country if we don't get a handle on this state by state. Uh, And that's why, you know, the upcoming elections are so important that we absolutely elect constitutional patriots but anyways um the the five-year-old that was kicked out for not having a vaccine card of a restaurant right i don't know if you saw that video but it is it's disturbing like and police are actually talking to a five-year-old as if he had an understanding of what is actually going on right and and that's that's the the crazy thing and we're seeing that this is being pushed in schools you know the masking um i'm not a believer in masks i believe that the masks i mean it's been proven time and time again that the masks do not prevent unless it's like the n95 i think is what they said is what it has to be but yet kids are still being forced to mask in schools um and and it's it's again the coercion of everything is where it stops from where I, I stopped believing in everything that the so-called you know experts in Washington that have been pushing this down in, in, in the state level in Madison. Um, I, I just I have a hard time believing. I'm not going to get my kids vaccinated. I have a two and a, and a thirteen year old, and both my kids are very healthy. I'm not going going to. Uh, 
put a, an experimental vaccine, in my personal opinion, is still in the experimental phase. Uh, there really was no testing period, right? Although every other vaccine has to go through years and years of testing before they're actually rolled out. And uh, I think the, the, the one that had the least amount of time was like four years um, for testing. And I, I don't know the which vaccine, but I don't believe that any of them were in eight months. Um, so... I, I just I have a lot of issue, so and that's why I'm very happy that you're sitting down with me today because it's nice to actually hear it from somebody, you know, hear about these things from somebody that has studied medicine. And how how long have you been in in the medical practice? Oh, I've been practicing about 35 years, I guess, more or less. So I mean, so for somebody that's been 35 years, yeah. uh, you know, working and and studying these things, and and I'm sure you've had tens of thousands of patients over these years. I trust what you have to say more than what a government agency has to say and, and, and a Fauci has to say, especially when everything has been back and forth. Yeah. So, so I want to actually talk about the masks and yeah. are the masks something that are really actually preventative when it comes to COVID? I mean, I know I just you know, talked about what Fauci said. Do you, do you truly believe that, that people are not going to contract COVID if they do mask? Well, um, yeah, I believe the mask, the potential benefit of the mask is greatly exaggerated, even in, in the best of circumstances. Okay. Um, as I understand it, we have aerosolized spread as the main way that COVID is spread. Mm-hmm. Um, that means these particles that are 0.125 microns, that's pretty tiny, the virus mm-hmm. particle, is floating around in the air, just like you know dust particles. Well, an N95 mask, according to its own specifications, a manufacturer can can block um, particles to 0.3 microns. Okay. So you got 0.3 compared to 0.125. Right. That's about the same ratio as a softball to a golf ball. Oh. And the way I make that example to patients is. Uh, if you've got Tiger Woods in the tee box and he's rapid firing, teeing off down down the fairway, and you're 20 yards down the fairway, and the only thing separating you from him is a fence that will stop anything the size of a softball or larger, it's not going to be a good day for you. Right. There are going to be a lot of golf balls coming through. It may stop some. Sure. Um, how might masks be helpful? I mean, am I going to go in to the operating room in a surgical suite without a mask? Well, no. I mean, if, if I'm coughing, if I sure. have sneezing or coughing in droplets, I mean, this is why we cover our cough. Do we right. think covering our cough is going to prevent any aerosolized spread into the room around us? No, but it's going to block some of those big particles that might have thousands of viruses in them. So, sure. yeah, it may do some good. But for people who are... I guess this gets back to that risk, uh, differential risk uh, issue. If I'm asymptomatic right. and I'm walking around, and in my case, I had COVID, so mm-hmm. I've got some natural immunity at least, mm-hmm. the odds that I might transmit the SARS-CoV-2 virus to someone are infinitesimally small. Right. I guess we hate in science to say it's never. We don't like to ever sure. use the word never. but. Um, yeah, so I think the I, I think there's a lot going on sure. behind the mask mandates that is um, 
beyond it's 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 a scientific it's not sure. it's not based on the science it could be a lot else going on I, I think a lot for me my my personal opinion when it comes to the math i think it's about control it's how do we control the populace and within you know a small community a city or a state um and then i think that what they've done is used mass as as like a crutch uh well you're safe if you wear your mask um it's virtually impossible you know we hear we hear people actually say that there's doctors in this area um i won't mention any names but that that have said that mass mass will prevent and and <clears throat> but everything that we're talking about has been asked to these you know the specific doctor i should say there's one and <laughs> i think you might know who i'm talking about him, but maybe you know what? i'm just gonna say it dr rye okay and, and and i've heard him speak at, you know with the school board stuff and all this but everything that he says just doesn't make sense it doesn't add up because what you're talking about is you're talking about the size of you know these particles and you know golf ball versus softball and and again i think it's about control and 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 then and then i think that the other part of it is money uh when it comes to a lot of the bigger um you know the hospital chains or or whatever they are i think that a lot of that has to do with money as well so well you know you said something about whether or not you believe and yeah you can you can have belief based on a lot of different things do you believe masks work or not um i can believe that i like uh, vanilla better than strawberry Mm -hmm. ice cream and that's a good belief um but we don't have to decide things like this mask mandate or vaccine mandates or whether or not ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine Mm -hmm. are helpful. We don't have to decide those things the same way we decide uh, what candidate we want for office or what what flavor ice cream. Um, This Physicians for Freedom has a very broad mission, Mm -hmm. the idea of promoting compassionate scientific discussion and that can be a help or a hindrance if you have a really sure. broad uh, mission well what's your focus what mm-hmm. are you going to focus on and how, if you if you focus on everything you'll accomplish nothing on the other hand the the idea of promoting a scientific approach to whatever issue may arise is potentially very valuable i'm i'm a um fervent, enthusiastic, passionate believer in science. I mean, Mm -hmm. I really believe that it's the absolute best way to find out what works best in Mm -hmm. whatever you're doing. And if you you get at the root using the data that's out there, whether it's about masks or vaccines or anything having to do with COVID or anything having to do with, you know, pick an issue. climate change or or uh, the economy or Mm -hmm. you know forms of government there are there's evidence out there there are opposing views we ought to we ought to enthusiastically discuss them vigorously thank the person if he is able to show you where you're wrong because that did you a favor no one ought to go around wrong (laughs) and um that leads to truth that's right. the best way. You can't get to truth without skepticism and discussion. There's no other way. And if you can get to the truth, you'll get to freedom. And, and, and if you get to freedom, you'll get to peace. Absolutely. And that's the biggest thing is, is, the, is the discussion. And, and that's the problem with the media. That's the problem with the politicians is they won't allow the discussion to happen. It takes podcasting, you know, the, the, you know, the, the 
the anti-media, essentially. You know, social media has been a big stopper yeah. of all this this discussion. And, and again, I think that that positive you know conversation. I mean, and that goes for anything. It's not even like you said, just about mass. It's, it's anything. I mean, yeah. through a conversation, I found out that I was wrong about other things. You know, and I like to think that I'm pretty. Uh, pretty fluent in history but there have been times where through conversation right yeah we find out that you know maybe i didn't actually note that yeah so, and, and i've been wrong mm, i've sure. made predictions i mean i love making predictions i mean sure. i love putting that skin in the game out there you know and and i've been wrong about covid sure. i mean before there was a delta i thought covid would be winding down by the summer and if you look at the if you look at the curve it mm -hmm. was and then this little thing called Delta happened, mm -hmm. and we got another rise. And then I thought, well, that's probably going to be the end. Well, okay, now we got this Omicron rise. So I'm absolutely happy to uh, learn if I've been wrong. Sure. The problem is what hasn't changed is fundamental understandings of the science. You know, natural immunity was mm -hmm. a fact before, during, and after those right. predictions, and it will be it will be around forever. Mm -hmm. um, so we ought to we ought to accommodate each other and try to encourage that discussion and, and resolution and and learn from it. I mean, that's right. it's a, it could be an exciting, fun thing to learn about sure. this stuff. Absolutely, uh, as long as people can keep their emotions out of it, we can have the the adult conversation. Yeah, but you know, if you if you have if you enter a discussion and someone starts uh, calling you names or mm -hmm. getting really loud and angry. Often that's an indication that they really they may not have the facts or the truth right. on their side. And, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you say the same about someone who's coercing you? Mm -hmm. If there's someone who's censoring the other side, at what point do we say, I can reasonably conclude that they don't know what they're talking about? Mm -hmm. Because if I've got the truth on my side, there's no more effective weapon or or way to to convince someone here if i believe it and i have good reason let me show you why mm -hmm. um we don't get enough of that yeah absolutely so you had mentioned hydroxychloroquine and um and ivermectin yeah now from my understanding is that they're it's like a 40 percent success rate or as long as it's caught right away um and then we know that now we know that the nfl uses it uh that's been starting to leak that the nfl will use it with their players um, when those first signs of COVID start. Uh, and, uh, but obviously we're being told like, oh, you know, the CDC went out there and said, you're going to turn into a horse or whatever the, you know, all the, the fear mongering that went into that is, is, are these drugs, you know, I mean, uh, how, uh, ivermectin has been around for what, 40 years. It's been, yeah, I think so. Seventies. Yeah. Right. So, and it's been, a, and, and it's been effective in other, um, you know, for other viruses. And very safe. Very, and, and safe. Yeah. So, one of the biggest issues that I have with the with again when we talk about the whole science, you know, trust the science community uh, out there now, um, is the fact that they want to shy away from the ivermectin, and I believe that this is a lot of lot to do with big pharma. Uh, obviously, Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson have a ton, uh, a massive stake. And they're making a ton of money uh, off of these vaccines. Ivermectin, I don't believe, is um, well, what do they call it? Patentable. Or it's right, unpatented, right? And so it's obviously very cheap. It's a cheap way to treat, right? Uh, so would you say, in your your professional opinion, that doctors should be prescribing ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, uh, those kind of things? Well, the way I approach it for myself is I try to, with each patient individually, I look at it as a cost benefit. 
Okay. And so if you have a patient who may benefit, and, and from my reading of, of the studies, I think it, it, it definitely does help some people. Okay. And, it, and I'm sure it helps some people more than others. But when it's so safe and you can use it with relatively low cost as far as the patient's health and, and financial cost as well, mm-hmm. it makes sense to put that in the tool and consider that as a, as a right. useful tool. You know, uh, antiviruses and bacteria are different. So um, I remember when I was in my, like about my 20s, I had, I had strep throat and mm-hmm. I felt miserable, you know, and I was traveling and I went in some clinic and I got a penicillin injection the mm-hmm. next morning. And by supper time, I felt well. It was the most <laughs> radical transformation. It was exhilarating. Well, that's a bacterial infection hit with a, an antibiotic that it's susceptible to. That's going to be a dramatic reaction. Viruses work from within your own cells. Our antiviral treatments, like you look at how we treat HIV, we have to use several different in combination. It's a much slower, less precise, less predictable process. And um, so you could have someone get tremendous benefit from ivermectin and someone else maybe not get so much benefit. But it certainly makes sense to talk about it, consider it, and maybe even, who knows, there's a radical idea. Let the patient make the decision if, if you present the option. Right. So I would, do, I would say that that should be uniformly our, the way physicians practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why, why should it be any different than considering uh, right. any other treatment? Well, that's that's great because because again, I, I do believe that there are benefits to, especially, you know, when you talk about the cost, uh, uh, you know, to the patient, the co- the and then the physical cost of, of how much it is. I mean, we are we are seeing inflation go through the roof. We are seeing all kinds of economic. I mean, everything is going up, and when people have limited budgets and you know the amount of people that may not be insured or or their insurance just doesn't cover much because we know that Obamacare really did a number uh, years ago and I, I, I don't think it's completely corrected itself and I think that I mean I pay out an astronomical amount of money for insurance for you know with my wife and kids um, so it's it's uh, I, I think it's a great option for people that should be able to go to the pharmacist, especially again when we go back to the doctor-patient, you know, uh, relationship. If a doctor does believe that ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, might be the answer, well, why not? I just again, I I, I, th- I feel that HIPAA has been violated uh, by by everybody in this whole this whole coronavirus the last two and a half years because there is no more. Uh, you know, the confidentiality. I mean, they say there is confidentiality, but yet you have government entities and and lobbyists within Madison, Washington, uh, that are, are essentially trying to stop this. I mean, we had, um, uh, there's a case here. I had the, I had the gentleman's attorney uh, on my, on the podcast, uh, you know, a couple months ago where there's, he, he was on his, on his deathbed in, in, in the hospital mm. and they were, they went before the Wisconsin Supreme court. And of course the Supreme court, Ruled against, which Hagedorn has 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 shown us to be uh, not what we thought he was going to be. Um, but they wanted to try ivermectin. They just wanted to try it. They they, they to, for one last you know effort to maybe keep their to, to keep their relative alive. But the, but the doctors wouldn't prescribe it. Nobody would prescribe it. And when they tried to move the gentleman, 
then the, the hospital chain started getting involved, saying you can't do this. And that's why, because I just don't be- I, I believe that if ivermectin was to, you know, hit the hit hit this whole thing, I believe that coronavirus would come down quite a bit, and and I think that it would stop the overreaching of the government, and and the money that's coming into the big pharma. So, uh, that's my opinion, I guess, on on all this. But it just seems very, um, it's it's an irrational thing for for uh, governments and and big pharma and these and these. I, I don't know these these uh, big hospital CEOs to to make a decision when I believe that there are probably more doctors than we believe to be out there that are willing to try anything to keep their patients healthy. Yeah, I I think there are a lot of doctors uh, that are sincerely out trying to do their best. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when I've engaged in discussions like this with. Uh, physician colleagues and with friends and, and, and others, um, question I'm often asked is, uh, well, do you think that, um, well, well, let me back up. I think doctors in their training and throughout their careers are uh, encouraged, trained and encouraged to rely on authority. Now, mm-hmm. what does that mean by authority? If I have a patient with a heart disorder and I consult a trusted cardiologist, that cardiologist just became my authority. Mm-hmm. And so working with the patient, we're going to figure out based on uh, maybe what that cardiologist tells me. And I'm going to have to maybe take his word on that because I'm not going to know as much cardiology as he will. Sure. Well, that's, that's how our healthcare system works. Mm-hmm. The problem is we have had some disturbing evidence over the la- over, with this COVID of our some of our authorities are no longer as reliably worthy of our trust as we would hope. You know, when we have, uh, you know, the CDC making, making decisions and changing its mind and we have evidence of uh, the Fauci Collins uh, emails, you know, mm-hmm. doing a, uh, some, what was it, a takedown of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, mm-hmm. that really shouldn't fall under the purview or the job description of a scientist working in the government. And, so that was their approach, not a scientific discussion. Things like that should give honest, earnest people trying to, and physicians doing their best for their patients, should give them pause and mm-hmm. make them think, okay, time for me to ramp up my skepticism, time for me to do a little bit of extra digging and try to figure this out for myself. And I think there is too much of a culture in among physicians and, and throughout the healthcare system of the, the quickest, easiest way is just take the word of the authority and do what they say. And I think that's hurting us. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think we need more people to step back and question and discuss very you know, respectfully, compassionately, as I said before. Mm-hmm. But uh, therein lies the path to truth. And this is what we're after. If we all can arrive there together, that would be right. the best. And this is a lot of you know, the, the group, Physicians for Freedom, right? They, right. You know, is, is, is encouraging this conversation to have <clears throat> with everything that we've talked about so far. Uh, and that's, that's, that's why I took a massive interest in the minute that, you know, uh, Melissa was talking about this with me and said, yeah, mm-hmm. you've got it. You gotta, and, and, I, and now that I'm sitting here with you, this is a very important. And I hope that we can get some events set up soon, uh, have you guys out speaking. 
to the to the masses, uh, get some general questions and, and and actual education when it comes to you know the the biggest concerns. You know, uh, I brought up the mask now, and I brought up the the, um, the mandates, the mandates, and and I brought up the ivermectin, the ivermectin. early treatment. Yep. correct. And and the final thing that I really want to get to is I want to get into the the vaccine. Yeah, and and one of the things that um, I think that is scary for a lot of us with the vaccine is one we are not being shown the numbers of, yeah. of vaccine injury, but we're seeing it on social media. We're seeing people that are actually having adverse effects. I've got a good friend of mine who uh, got his booster, and I am un- unvaccinated, folks. Uh, uh, I'm I'm vaccinated. I'm not I'm not vaccinated for the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, um, right. But he got a booster for the coronavirus because it's his family's thing. Is you have to do this. They believe in all that uh, that that propaganda that's been pushed out. He is he is a very healthy individual, and he felt. He, I mean, he told me he felt he, like he thought he was going to die. He's never in his life had a heart rate, resting heart rate of like 106 or 105. Yeah. And the sweats. He he could not get comfortable, and and it lasted for a little over 24 hours, and then it finally started coming down. And uh, he he now truly believes that, that was as a result to getting the booster. So I want to I, w- I want to get your opinions on on the vaccine. I mean, do you believe that this thing is safe for people to? I mean, I guess it's a it's it's a it's not a trick question, but it's no. A, but you you hit on <coughs> it because uh, one thing I know I don't believe is I've I've heard this official government officials use mm-hmm. the phrase perfectly safe. Right, and I mean that's absurd. So say something is perfectly safe if sure. it's a medical treatment. You know, water is not perfectly safe. You can overdose on that. So um, we have to define our terms. Correct. Um, and it's not it's not going to be bumper sticker discussion. It's going to require sure. a little work and a little precision. So um, I would say I've I've recommended the vaccine for some of my patients, okay. and I've definitely recommended avoiding the vaccine for some of my patients. And uh, by the way, who in the end decides? The patient. Correct. Um, but uh, there are times where, uh, you, you know, if I have a patient with who has a very high risk of serious illness or death from inf- getting infected, well, then, of course, you know, mm-hmm. the vaccine would make sense. Well, if I have a young, healthy patient with, as I said before, one one-thousandth right. the risk of serious illness or death as that older person with comorbidities, then I'm not going to recommend the vaccine, especially, I mean, who can possibly know the long-term side effects of a vaccine that's less than two years old? That's absolutely impossible. And it may be that the, that the side effects are rather small. Well, if you're a young person, right. it still may exceed the risk of getting the infection. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not going to endure. The, the immunity from a vaccine, I mean, in every other vaccine or infectious disease that I'm aware of, the natural immunity following infection, that's the gold standard. And if you get a vaccine that's really, really good, it will protect you as well as if you had the vaccine or pretty close. And so what we've seen now, part of this, you know, we've seen some moving goalposts as far as, you know, vaccine requirements and, well, you need a booster and they're some places are saying you may need a booster every six months, and who knows how, how what that interval will become in the future. Um, that moving goalpost reflects something that we know very well mm. is true about how viruses and pandemics and, vac- and, and infections work. 
if you think about it from the, the virus's point of view, a respiratory virus, what's its business model? You know, what's mm-hmm. its strategy to reproduce? It wants to infect as many people as quickly as possible and then keep them in circulation, active, long, keep them sneezing and coughing on each other so it can make as many of its babies get out there okay. generation after generation. That's the strategy. So it's always tends to be the case. The, the, the mathematical certainty in the long run is mm-hmm. – as they mutate, the virus will become more infectious but less lethal. It doesn't right. help me as a virus outcompete you as my, as my other virus competitor if I kill my host two days into it and yours stays coughing and sneezing on people for a week or two. So right. this is what we're seeing manifest in Omicron right now. It was, was utterly gonna, yeah. predictable. It was beyond predictable. It was inevitable. Well, now they're saying there's a whole other variant that's coming, and maybe this is uh – this could be just social media play of words, Delta Cron. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of this kind of stuff. Oh, no, I heard something I thought you were going to be talking about uh, in that n- part of northern China. They, that, that town that I heard was, mm. they were like in lockdown again and uh, dis- spraying disinfectant on the streets. I don't know. I just heard about that. But Yeah, no, I mean, I've heard there's all kinds of that kind of stuff going on all yeah. over the place. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean. I, I, Did I just get you banned for saying that, for asking that question? No, 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 <laughs> not at all. Yeah. No, 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 they, they can't ban a, a podcast. That's the best part about it. So the yeah. the, the F, FA, FCC or whatever, they don't have yeah. control over this. So, um, no, I, I just, it makes perfect sense. And, and, and I've been hearing this from other people yeah. uh, that are within the medical profession. Um that, that, again, viruses over time, they become weaker. Yes, they're more infectious, as you said. Yeah. Um, so you're going to see higher numbers where, you know, again, when you look at the Omicron uh, version of the coronavirus, uh, we're seeing record numbers. But, again, you're seeing record numbers of people continue to survive right. from this. And, 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 and we're, seeing, mm-hmm. we're seeing the predicted uh, waning of the effectiveness of the vaccines. You know, Correct. The way I've described it to, 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 to patients and other people is – you know, if, if you if, look at a football game, mm-hmm. if you stack 11 big guys on the line to stop the run, the first thing you're going to have your opponent do is pass. Mm-hmm. And so putting a vaccine which has a, a spike protein defense mm-hmm. is going to select out subsequent mutations that are going around that spike protein. Right. This also is inevitable. It's every physician that you know that's practicing learned about antibiotic resistance developing sure. in, in, in treating bacteria. It's the same principle. And so this is nothing new, and, 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 it, and it should be acknowledged, and it should be talked about. We should all be acknowledging that and talking about it. And if, 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 I, if, if a, patient, a patient asked me, earlier this afternoon mm-hmm. about whether or not to receive a vaccine and we're already probably 90 percent maybe mm-hmm. more through the pandemic she hasn't gotten infected yet so the omicron is likely the it's the ascendant variant which is going to be more infectious but less lethal so she's she's facing all of these favorable trends the tide is definitely moving mm-hmm. away from COVID deaths and COVID being a problem. It's moving the direction we all should want. Um, and yet she's feeling a lot of social pressure from friends. And you've got to get vaccinated. You've got to get vaccinated. 
And my my question to her is, what vaccine? Do you want a vaccine to the uh, swine flu? How about the 2015 influenza? I mean, you're talking about a vaccine that was designed, hasn't been altered in two years. Right. For a for a virus that mutates really really fast. That's its mo. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down. I want to do this more often with you uh, as we continue to see my my prediction. I, like you, I like to give predictions. Is that this is this Omicron Omicron variant is not even close to the end, and I think it's because we have political gain, um, especially when it comes to you know, locking people in their homes. And, uh, you know, we saw the voting issues with the indefinitely confined. But we have an election year. It is 2022. 2022 is an election year. It's a very big election year. year here in Wisconsin. We're looking for a new governor. We're hoping for Jonathan Wickman. And, and because of everything we've talked about, this is what he has been saying on the on the campaign trail, that, that people need to have the choice. To, with with their doctors, he's not against people taking a vaccine or whatever, but have the conversation. But let's be realistic when we talk about numbers, when we talk about the side effects, and whether you're healthy or not healthy. You know, like like you going back to the golf ball and, and softball comparison. Yeah. This this is a conversation that needs to happen, yeah. uh, not a conversation with the media and and the patient. This is this, that's that's not where this happens. So. I'm really looking forward to the website. I know you guys are working on getting a website up for yeah. Physicians for Freedom. We're going to make sure that we continue to push this. I would love to do a Badger State event where we roll you guys out and and uh, and, and you know a, a conjoined event and and talk about these things again. It's it's not just medical freedom we're fighting for. Uh, it's freedom in general. You know we have a we have a very big overreaching government right now, and right now the biggest thing that we're facing is is medical freedom and. I, I just never, I mean, I'm 34 years old. Never in my life have I ever seen anything like this. My, my father, my grandfather, uh, they've never seen anything like this, and they can't believe that we as a people uh, have, I guess, I guess in, with complacency, have allowed this to become what it is. And that's our fight, is that's to make right. sure. Yeah, we, we, we've, I think a lot of us have been, we're complacent. We've been, we've mm-hmm. been blessed, and we've been lulled into some uh, complacency. And um, but you know, there's nothing like pain for waking you up, uh, waking you up from a sleep. And uh, if we can figure out that science and freedom and discussing with each other respectfully, those those all that that's that's the recipe, and it's the only recipe for mm-hmm. a self-governing people to succeed. And if we can get people to uh, embrace that, strive for that, and hold candidates and elected officials accountable to that, mm-hmm. we'll all be better off. Absolutely. I we'll agree. have clearer choices in elections. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Um, I want to talk about EOMed for just a moment here. So you're a private practice. Yes. And are you accepting new patients? I have what's called a, a, a concierge type or a personal physician practice. Okay. Uh, I'm totally independent, which means that I'm not a part of a health system. Okay. So primary care medicine is can be challenging as far as uh, economic viability goes. Sure. But when 
when on the prevailing health care system model, you get a bunch of primary docs, and then they are in, in partnership with the higher revenue operate surgical hospital procedures, sure. and the income all kind of gets swirled around and then redistributed, and that keeps everybody in business. Um, I, I, for myself, I love the idea of being independent. I love mm-hmm. the idea of referring patients to the best physician, uh, best consultant uh, for that patient, regardless of what uniform they're wearing at the time. Sure. So um, for me to do that, what I what uh, personal direct physicians do, they charge an annual membership fee for sure. people to be in their practice. And at the same time, they limit the number of patients in their practice because okay. I'm available to my patients 24-7. Okay. So I'm a bit of a throwback. I told... I told someone earlier today, I said, I'm a bit like a dinosaur with uh, two feet in the tar pit because I'm a primary doc um, and yet independent. And, okay. But doing it this way, um, it allows me to work. I mean, I feel like I've, I, I feel like I've got the best job in medicine. I, yeah. I, I have the availability of the current modern technology, the power of medicine, but I know my patients, they know me, it's a personal relationship. They're in charge. I serve at their pleasure. Um, and I think that's just exactly how it ought to be. I, I don't disagree with you. I think, uh, you know, going back to you know, when you look at even just in the 1940s, the home visits where the doctor really got very, was very, had a personal relationship with that's the patients. That's exactly right. Uh, I think that that people may tend to be healthier so uh because they understand and and so i think it's i think it's great and and i'm glad that uh melissa brought this to my attention i want to definitely you know do whatever i can to help you and your the new organization that's that's forming become as successful and get out there um and uh i just i really do thank you um and again dr Coster. I want to say Costner because my my cousin's last name is Costner. Yes. So I keep <laughs> I, <that's> what, after <laughs> so my I after my first date with my future wife, <laughs> her mother was telling friends of hers that oh my daughter had a nice date with a young man. His name I believe was Kevin Costner. Oh, of course. And, yeah. And so that's I've never yet lived up to that. Sure. Yeah. No. No. My cousin is 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 Costner. <laughs> so I keep. <laughs> wanting to say that but it's coster so i really do appreciate you taking the time to sit down again i want to do this again uh, soon uh, especially as things continue to go and as we get closer uh, one of the biggest things that we as a state need to be focused on in this upcoming year is our medical freedom and making sure that that is preserved it's not about you know um a bill or two. It's about actually making sure the constitution of our state and the U.S. constitution uh, are followed and that people's rights are not infringed upon. Um, that's the message that I preach. It's the message that the, the others that I, I've been uh, running with all over the state, you know, Jonathan Wickman and, you know, Kyle Eudes and, and others, uh, that, that, is, that is what we've been talking about. And, and we want everybody to obviously be as healthy as possible. Uh, none of us are anti-vax. I mean, I'm right. vaccinated against you know all the the normal stuff that ever most most people are vaccinated against um and i'm not anti-science and and nobody that i've been you know working with is anti-science but we are anti the coercion and it just continues to go back so um I, 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 we have an event coming up, folks. If you are in the Green Bay area and want to meet Jonathan uh, Wickman or myself, we're doing a fundraiser event in Hobart at uh, D2 Sports Club uh, Pub. 
and uh, hope you can make it out to that. It'll be a great time. Again, is there anything else that you want to say to the listeners that no, maybe I, we haven't covered? I, th- I think you've summed it up very well. I appreciate you having me on. It you've made it fun and uh, and uh, hopefully oh, hopefully of some benefit to people. We need to get the word out. Absolutely. Um, and I think uh, I look forward to further collaboration because uh, the, the mission of uh, Freedom through truth and science. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's something that uh, I and PFF are very passionate about. Absolutely. All right, folks, we'll be back here tomorrow, and have a wonderful rest of your day.